So uh, it was tough enough, of course, that David had had to spend years on the run uh, as a young man, but to have to repeat that same scenario all over again when he was a much older man, I think must have been a very difficult pill to swallow for David. And yet that's exactly what happened, isn't it, brothers and sisters? The, the rebellion of Absalom came when David was, well, what, may, maybe 60 to 65 years old? We, we can't be sure, can we? But it meant that once again, David found himself having to flee from the comfort of the king's palace that he lived in. And, and worse than that, um, he was yet again separated from his place where he wanted to be at the house of God. Now, there aren't, there aren't quite so many psalms um, that tell us explicitly that they were written during this period in David's life. But again, the clues are there in quite a few of the psalms that, that this is the period that they come from. So with a, an attempt at sharing the screen again, let's give it a whirl and see if this comes up okay. There we are. Um, these are just some of the psalms, I'll say some uh, to protect myself, um, that I think uh, date themselves to the period of Absalom's rebellion and, and also uh, a particular period just before the rebellion when it was brewing and David seems to have been stricken with a severe illness. And you can see there Psalms like Psalm 3 where we're told and others like Psalm 42 and 43 where we're not told in the title that that's when they're from. Just before we head into uh, these Psalms though, I'd like you to come with me please first of all to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And we'll just spend a few minutes looking at some of the context and some of the things we pick up from this period of David's life and what actually happened. 2 Samuel 15 is where Absalom strikes with his rebellion. And look at what we read in verse 13. It says, now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Of course, David could have stayed in Jerusalem. It was the most defensible city in the land. Remember the, uh, the challenge they had to take it in the first place. David could have probably quite easily endured a siege there. And yet his overriding concern was that if the city was taken, then all the inhabitants of the city would be killed by Absalom and his men. And so David felt that it was better actually to flee. I think that's a really interesting attitude, isn't it, brothers and sisters? That, uh, that David forsakes the, the safety of the fortress so that he could protect others. And I think that there, in David's uh, his own example, is, is an example for you and me um, for our own behaviour in, in the current crisis that we face and perhaps in, in future ones that may come our way. Because it's easy, isn't it, when, when we're in a crisis and we're faced with a problem that affects us personally, to only think about ourselves, to think about how we are affected and, and what we would like to do, how we would like to behave, how we would like to deal with the situation. And yet the much better attitude is to consider instead those around us, how our actions, how our response to the crisis may affect others, 
how we can benefit them, how we may protect them by the way that we ourselves behave. That's what David does. And, and it's something that you and I can learn from because the whole COVID thing has certainly put a spotlight, hasn't it, on, on the things that we do and whether what we do is, is just a selfishly motivated set of actions or whether actually what we do or don't do is done for the benefit of others. Another interesting point that comes out in this chapter is in verse 18. Uh, who goes with David when he flees? Well, verse 18 says, all his servants passed before him and all the Kerithites, all the Pelethites and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. In the main, that's the same 600 men who were with David 30 years earlier when he was on the run from Saul. The same men. And even now, when they're having to go through the same thing again, they're still loyal to their king. They're still willing to go through the same hardships with him once again. Because he's the man that they follow. They followed him 30 years ago. And they're still following him now. Isn't that the same attitude that we should be showing, brothers and sisters? You know, we have those words, don't we, at the end of the letter to the Hebrews, where we're exhorted. Let us therefore go forth unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And so for us too, if we truly follow our Lord that then we will endure the reproaches of other men and women just as he did just just as david's men were willing to to go outside the camp with him and to bear his reproach as as they left jerusalem with him well just a couple of thoughts there that maybe keep a finger in in second samuel anyway but come over please if you will to Psalm 42 and, and 43 because i want to look at i want to spend our time actually just in in these two psalms now psalm 42 and 43 i'm going to call them one psalm because you notice 43 doesn't have a, a title but what it does have is a, a a chorus which is repeated from psalm 42 so it's very likely it's just one psalm in reality um, from this period well how do we know it's from this period it actually says that it's a psalm of the sons of korah uh, maybe then that means that it was written uh, by the sons of Korah for David uh, to express how he felt and how they could see he felt or maybe uh, the title means that it was written by David for them to sing because they were they were his choir and, and so David wrote his down down his, his feelings and gave it to them to put into the the hymn book of Israel um, either way um, I, it, it almost certainly reflects how David was feeling at this time. But there's more to it than that, brothers and sisters, because this psalm is, is quite clearly, as we'll go on, uh, a messianic psalm as well, because this one is going to tell us about the, the, the life and the mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this study, hopefully we're going to learn not just from David and how he dealt with his problem uh, of Absalom's rebellion, but we're also going to learn from the Lord Jesus himself. So I want us to think again about the, um, the, the, the themes and the, the key messages then that are being brought out in, in this particular psalm and in this period of David's life. 
And the, the first thing we're, we're going to see yet again, and it's a, it's a repeat of what we saw from his younger days, is that we have David's desire to be close to God. It was there again, wasn't it, in the beginning of the psalm, where he said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He is a man who's, who has only just been, been exiled from Jerusalem. This is a man who's still heading away from the city over the hill. And he's, in fact, he's only just turned uh, to send the ark back into Jerusalem because they were going to bring it with them. And already as David heads away from Jerusalem, already he's longing to, to be back there again, to be back worshipping and, and serving his God. And, and yet, as David appreciates, it's not going to be possible, is it? What does he say to, to Zadok there in, in 2 Samuel 15? He says, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favour in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. You see that the link of the sentiment there to the, the sentiment that you have at the, the beginning of Psalm 42. When shall I come and appear before God again? And, uh, and if we go on in the psalm, you, you, you see that the same sentiment coming out again here. Verse 4, David says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a, a pilgrim feast. There I think we, we've got David in the psalm thinking back to that joyous day that all those years before when he brought up the ark for the first time into Jerusalem. And yet now David can't do that. David is exiled, not just out of the city, but, but right across the Jordan, almost out of the promised land. Verse 6, he picks that up, doesn't he? He says, oh my God, my soul is, is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. And David, as we know from reading in 2 Samuel, had to cross the Jordan away from the land right up to a uh, to Mahanaim from which it was easier actually for him to look up to the the heights of Hermon than it was to to look across the Jordan Valley to see his beloved city Jerusalem he found himself far from where he wanted to be and, and you know brothers and sisters when when we read these words written about David's experiences we can see a parallel as well to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus, of course, was a man whose whole life was, was centred on, on his God. He, he was a, a man who, who panted for, for his God, like, like the deer pants for water. The, the, the driving force in Jesus's life was, was what? His own disciples recognised it, didn't they? That the zeal of your house has eaten me up. His desire was there to be in his father's house. So when we read these words, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when, when shall I come and appear before God? In those words, we can see not just David, but the Lord Jesus himself being reflected there, because that was, that was Jesus' character. In fact, when, when, when in the psalm there, it says, 
when shall I come and appear before God? We can imagine the Lord Jesus can't. We're not just considering when he would be able to go to the temple, but thinking of that greater day when he would be in the very presence of his father in heaven. And the Lord Jesus too, like David, found that there were times in his life when his going up to the house of God was no longer possible, when he couldn't even go into his father's house. Uh, we read about it really in John's gospel. Um, John 7 says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Um, at the end of John 8, when he has gone back to Jerusalem for, for the feast, they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. And when we get to John 11, when he's about to go back up to Jerusalem again, the disciples say to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? You know, that, that threat of death, which the Lord Jesus faced when he went up to Jerusalem uh, to his own father's house, was a threat that meant on occasions he was kept away from it so that he couldn't go up there and, and worship joyfully as no doubt he had in his younger days. Now that maybe should bring us back to our, our own situation brothers and sisters. You know actually for, for most of us the, the physical uh, limitation that we've had over this last six months has been mitigated to quite a large degree hasn't it? by the technology that we're, we're sharing just now. It hasn't actually really prevented us from worshipping together, has it? But what would we do if even that was taken away from us? If we couldn't even Zoom each other to, to be together like this for, for breaking of bread and for, for Bible study, could our faith sustain us in, in the absence of, of the worship and the fellowship that we take so much for granted? Well, that is a situation, of course, that brothers and sisters do face around the world. Many of them are, are isolated in other countries and have to cope um, exactly with that situation. And, and maybe well, even when we benefit, as we do now from this, this sort of virtual gathering, we need to think about others and about how we can, in one way or another, share our fellowship with them, considering just how hard it is when you're truly on your own. Um, to, to, to sustain faith. It's interesting actually to just to carry on thinking about Jesus um, and, and the periods when he was exiled from his own father's house. Where, where did Jesus go? We read about him going up into Galilee, didn't we? But of course, the, the psalm talks about him being in the land of Jordan and, and from the heights of Hermon. And, and actually, that's, that was one of the things that happened with Jesus as well. There was a point in Matthew's gospel when we read that Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, right there at the, at the foot of Mount Hermon, when he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And of course, in John, when Jesus has had to uh, escape from the temple and from them trying to stone him, it says he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. So when Jesus was separated physically from the house of God, he went to the very areas that David had had to go when he was exiled. And so what happened to David was being fulfilled again in the experience of his greatest son. 
So uh, there, there's one of the themes then that comes out in the psalm, this, this desire to be there at the house of God, worshipping God, but being prevented from going there. Uh, another theme that comes out uh, quite strongly in, in these psalms is the reproach and the oppression of the enemy. And it, and it comes out because of, of repeated phrases. Look at verse 3 of, of Psalm 42. It says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? And it's there again, isn't it? Verse 10. As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? That's, that's one of the, the phrases, where is your God, that comes out. Uh, but there's another one as well. At the end of verse 9, notice he says, why do I go a mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And again, in Psalm 43 and verse 2, at the second half of that verse, again, he says, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So the, these were the things that David felt very keenly when he was on the run from Absalom, the oppression of his enemy and them saying to him, where is your God? Just Now, just think about that uh, as in terms of what David was dealing with, the, the pressure, the oppression being applied to him by his enemies and their belief that his God had actually deserted him. We, we can see it, actually, well, as we read through the, the record in saying Samuel, you know, that the, the fact that David had, had only just reached the top of the Mount of Olives when Absalom was coming into the city of Jerusalem on the other side behind him and that the potential that Ahithophel might be actually on his heels with, with a, a troop of men within a matter of hours. Imagine that that's the oppression of the enemy, isn't it? The, that pressure of, of having Absalom so close behind him that, that David had to deal with. And, and as if that weren't enough, as David went up the hill uh, and went over the Mount of Olives, he had Shimei cursing him, didn't he? Remember the words of Shimei as he threw rocks at David. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. It's, uh, it, that's Shimei's way of saying to David, Where, where's your God? The, the God who, who, who allowed you to, uh, to, to usurp the throne? Well, he's, he's taken it away from you and given it to your own son now. So where's your God now? He's not, he's not on your side anymore, is he? He's, he's with your son, Absalom. Well, that kind of pressure, the, the oppression of the enemy and that reproach, where is your God? That was a pressure that Jesus was familiar with throughout his ministry, wasn't it? And it was something that Jesus felt every step of the way. Remember, even early on, back in Luke 6, we read up in Galilee, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. And when they couldn't, it says they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And later on in Luke, um, uh, in one of the discussions that Jesus has at a Pharisee's house, as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say 
that they might accuse him. There was the oppression of the enemy. And ultimately, of course, they had what they thought was their way. Their, and their reproach to Jesus as he hung on the cross was what? It was, a, it was where is your God? They really believed, didn't they, that his God had deserted him. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Yes, there, there it was. Where is your God? Let him save you if you really are the son of God. I wonder, brothers and sisters, have, have you and I ever felt pressure like that from our enemies? Have, have we ever been reviled for our faith in God in the way that Jesus was or in the way that David was? Because that is the natural outcome of being a disciple of Jesus, it seems. Think of what the Apostle Paul had to say uh, to those in, in Galatia. He said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And, and at the end of his life, he wrote to Timothy and said, yea, and all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. It's something that we see with our Iranian brothers and sisters, isn't it? When we talk to them about their experiences, we see that many of them have, have fled to the UK because of the threat that they are under for the faith that they have expressed in Jesus back in Iran. And it's true in this country as well, that, uh, that if you and I seek to, to speak out on the things that we believe, if we profess publicly our belief in God and the Lord Jesus and in the coming kingdom on the Internet, then we invite for ourselves a very aggressive reaction from, from those who say to us, where is your God? How, how can you possibly believe in, in that sort of nonsense? It's worth considering, isn't it? You know, if, if we've never had that sort of pressure in our lives, if we've never had that kind of reproach of the enemy, why, why is that, brothers and sisters? Is it because we're keeping too quiet about whose disciples we are and which God we serve? Well, the third theme that, uh, that comes out in, in Psalm 42 and 43, again, is no different to what we saw earlier in, in the experiences of David. And, and it's that feeling again of being cast down, of, of feeling absolutely overwhelmed as, as if God ha had forgotten him. That is there in verse uh, seven, where David says, all your waves and billows have, have gone over me. That the, that the feeling as if he was drowning, as if, as if and, and that it was God that was, was pushing him down so that he, he was going to, to drown in deep waters. Or, or verse nine, he says, I'll say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And, and on into Psalm 43 and verse 2, it says, For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning 
because of the oppression of the enemy. And then three times in these Psalms comes the same refrain that, uh, that is used by David here that really expresses how he feels. Verse five, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And it really feels, doesn't it, that there we, we, we get an insight again into the mind of, of, of David. But it wasn't easy for David to, to, to ride out the, these major challenges which he felt in his life. You know, we, we can't look at David as, as, he, as he flees out of Jerusalem, just surrounded by those loyal men and think, oh, yeah, you know, it was, this was no big deal. It was just another great adventure that he went on. You know, this is the man who'd won many victories under the blessing of God's hand. And yet now, as he left Jerusalem and crossed the Jordan River and took refuge in Mahanaim, it really felt to David at times as if God had deserted him. Because how else could things have got this bad in his life? And yet, you know, the, the wonderful thing that's here in these Psalms is that even though David feels cast down, even though he's so overwhelmed by the circumstances he faces, he's able to temper it every time. Every time he, he uses this refrain, he's able to balance it with, with something else that he says. Because I stopped halfway through the verse, didn't I, quite deliberately. He says in verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. From his experiences in, in his younger days and, and how God had so many times before brought him back from the brink of disaster, from looking back at those things, David is able now as an old man to, to draw strength again and, and to put his reliance still upon his God. And I think you can see the difference that that makes in the psalm, brothers and sisters, and, and in his outlook as, as he goes through. Just look at how he's able then to, to carry on in, in Psalm 42 and at verse 8. Even though he said that God's waves have gone over him, in verse 8, he says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And if you come over to Psalm 43, again, after, after saying that he feels cast off by God, in verse 3, he says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and on the harp, I will praise you, O oh my God. Even as he runs away from Jerusalem with his back to the city of God, even as he's looking forwards down to the Jordan and on to the other side, yet he's thinking about what is behind him already. And he's already contemplating being back there in Jerusalem, worshipping at the tabernacle again, being able to, to take up his harp again and, and sing his praise to God. And, and, you know, I think there's something really uh, amazing that we can learn from, from King David here, brothers and sisters, and from 
how he deals with this repeated experience of being on the run again, this time from Absalom. And, and it's this, that, that just as David trusted in God when he was young, even when the, the odds were so stacked against him and he was hiding in a cave from Saul, just as he trusted God then, so he still trusts in God in exactly the same way as an old man. And I say, I say that's quite amazing, brothers and sisters, because you have to contrast David with, let's say, with another king, with King Asa. Think of King Asa. King Asa, like David, faced overwhelming odds as a young king when he faced the army of Egypt and the Ethiopians. And at that time, as a young man, he, he, he couldn't trust anybody else but God. And he leaned on God and God gave him deliverance. And as an old man, when he was faced... With, with, with uh, an enemy again, he didn't trust in God anymore. He leaned on his riches, on the wealth that he'd amassed over the years uh, to pay off the king of, of Syria to come and help him out. Uh, he, he trusted on his skills as a negotiator. His attitude changed over the years from trusting God to trusting himself. But that's not King David, is it? Because what we see in David is a a consistency, no, no change of attitude, no change in, in the way he approaches things in, in these Psalms that we, we read. Because David is able to look back as an old man and remember how God had been with him before. And, and therefore David is able to lean on God and trust him again. And, and, and that should be a prompt to, to you and me today as well brothers and sisters that we also look back that, that when we find ourselves struggling you know if we're if, we're, if, if we find that the situation today with coronavirus and, and the, the restrictions it brings upon our lives if we find that a challenge then what we need to do like David is to look back and ask this has our God ever ever in our lives forsaken us when we've been in trouble ever or can we clearly see examples time and time again when, when God has provided for you and me the sucker that we've needed probably at exactly the right time you know and it's only actually afterwards isn't it that we can look back and say well you know there was a point where I felt overwhelmed and just when I needed some help my God provided it. You know, because brothers and sisters, if you and I have the ability to use our memories and to look back in the past and see that, then what's to stop us putting our confidence in God for the future as well, that he will do exactly the same again. I think, I think that's why David's, David's depth of anguish in this psalm still has a question mark against it. You notice that in, uh, let's say, verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Why, why do I let myself feel this way? Because, he says, I can hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Why, why do I let myself be cast down when I have the ability to hope in God? Actually, you, you know, this, this question that David asks, why am I cast down? 
that's what tells us that this is a messianic psalm as well apart from all the other links we've already seen with the experience of the lord jesus but it's this being cast down in soul that's actually picked up as a phrase by the lord jesus himself um let's see if i can click on to this um there we are in john 12 not not long before his his sacrifice jesus says now my soul is troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this purpose i came to this hour this that phrase there my soul is troubled is, is the same greek phrase this is the septuagint uses in psalm 46 uh, psalm 42 and verse 6 where david says oh my god my soul is cast down within me so D jesus is quoting directly from the psalm when when he makes that prayer to god that was how jesus felt as he faced the cross just a few days away and as he got closer then the feeling got stronger so that when we get to gethsemane we know there don't we that as he goes off to pray he says to the three of his disciples my soul is exceeding sorrowful even to death stay here and, and watch with me well if if david was was cast down uh, at that point in his life when he was on the run from absalom how much more the lord jesus when he faced not not the uncertainty of exile but for the lord jesus the absolute certainty that the cross was only a few hours away and yet the lord jesus like david ha had the answer to to that crushing feeling didn't he he had a way of dealing with it because in the the words of the psalm that the the lord jesus no doubt spoke to himself he would be able to say hoping god for i shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my god and, and it was in that hope that the, the the spirit of christ that's here in the psalms was was able to look forward to the the joy that was assuredly set before him but well beyond the the immediate suffering of the cross let's just uh, close with some of the words that are there from psalm 43 and and think of these now not not as as david wrote them uh, looking forward to being back in jerusalem but as the lord jesus may have quoted them to himself as he faced the cross uh, psalm 43 and verse 3 he says oh send out your light and your truth let them lead me let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle then i will go to the altar of god to my god my exceeding joy and on the harp i will praise you O god my god and i guess for the lord jesus thinking of those words he'd be thinking about entering the true tabernacle wouldn't he the tabernacle which god pitched and not man he would be looking forward to the prospect of being seated at the right hand of, of the throne of God. And for you and me today, brothers and sisters, well, the same promise is there for us. A promise of, of everlasting joy in the presence of our Saviour uh, when he comes again. So maybe we can take that with us in, in times of uncertainty uh, as we have now that we can be encouraged to hope in god for we shall yet praise him the help of our countenance and our god